White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 479. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. On this circuit, the world's most famous motor race is run. For 24 hours each year, men and machines are put to the supreme test of speed and stamina. There are 55 cars and 110 drivers, representing countries from all over the world. They will drive day and night through sun and rain. And so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most famous motor car race in the world, the 38th running of the Grand Prix of Endurance and Efficiency, the 24 hours of the month. The essence is speed. The objective is winning. And the danger is dying. Le Mans, where hour by hour, lap after lap, a man-to-man competition of champions never stops. At 200 miles an hour, the pressure of winning and losing is tough enough. Explaining it to someone else makes it even tougher. This isn't just a thousand to one shot. This is a professional blood sport. And it can happen to you. And then it can happen to you again. What is so important about driving faster than anyone else? A lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing's important to men who do it well. Racing, it's life. Anything that happens before or after, it's just waiting. Le Mans. The men. The machines. The motion picture. Steve McQueen stars in it. No one else could. Welcome to the Open Wheel Podcast, White Rocket Entertainment's Formula One and IndyCar Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thanks, Van. It's great to be back, and it's as we are actually recording this on weekend when there is actual racing for once. Woohoo! Which is yeah. So uh, we're back. Yeah, there was a Formula One race this morning. There was an IndyCar race yesterday noontime thereabouts. And so uh, that was the second IndyCar race, but they sure went a long time between the first one and the second one. Yeah, there was a long gap. It sort of feels like yesterday's was the first one in some ways, but, uh, it does. but it's great that the both series are back in action. So. Yeah, and we had a very entertaining Formula One race this morning. We were just talking about it a second ago, how this was the, uh, the, the first of two Austrian races. This was actually called the Austrian Grand Prix, and they had, uh, we saw, um, uh, the first place was actually uh, Valtteri Bottas, not Lewis Hamilton. In fact, Lewis didn't even end up on the podium. So real quickly, what did you think about Lewis not even ending up on the podium? It's not a track he loves, I know, but still. Um, no, I mean, it is a track that Bottas loves. Um, no, it was, it was made it interesting for once. I mean, I know he finished technically second on the road, but mm. uh, time penalty for taking out Alex Albon out again. So oh, dropped him down for... Um, the path and it was good to see a mixed up uh, podium with uh, mm-hmm. three different uh, manufacturers represented so um, particularly to see McLaren back up on the podium as well after all the troubles they've been through in the last few years um, so yeah it was it was really good a really interesting last 20 laps or so um, and interesting to see a lot of the mechanical failures coming out even though we were in July it is still technically the first race of the year so still figuring out a lot of stuff around the cars so some mechanical stuff um fun of Austria is the guys will never stay off the curbs even though the curbs wreck the cars um, so we, we saw a few uh, consequences of that so uh, looking forward to it's going to be interesting next week to go going back to the same circuit again 
um, to see if anybody actually learns anything from this week to apply to the race mm. at the same circuit next week and the first of these uh, double headers that they're doing. So uh, I think that's going to be interesting. And if the cars can stand up to two week two weekends in a row, two on of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Lewis, yeah. this is critical. You must stay off the curbs. <laughs> No, we're not kidding this time. (laughs) We're not kidding. You must. No, seriously, you must. (laughs) And that's the red and white bits, Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was interesting to see the Mercedes struggle and (coughs) Ferraris come good when they looked like they weren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, that was interesting. They were terrible in qualifying. And then uh, here we get... uh, with the situation, with the circum, the, the the conditions, I guess a little bit different. Maybe in the race, you had uh, Charles Leclerc go all the way up to second. So uh, he came charging out of nowhere there toward the end of it. So he did, and, yeah. He just suddenly yeah. seemed to appear in the top four from somewhere. Yeah, so it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so, I also wanted to mention yeah. you had a McLaren ended up on the podium after the fact at the end of last season, and now you end up with the McLaren on there to start this season and it's we've come a long way from when they were down there with Williams at the very bottom a couple of years ago huh I wonder if Fernando wishes he hadn't hadn't retired after all maybe <laughs> I don't think there's I'm going to get controversial here I don't think they'd be up there if they still had Fernando but that's oh, what goes <laughs> hey, oh, all right all right well that was cool so we've got uh, more coming up this weekend we got another IndyCar race we got another Formula One we were, I, I mentioned on uh, Twitter that uh, we went you know we, we've gone like months and months and months and months and months with nothing, and now we're going to have like eight races in three weeks or some ridiculous amount. I, the, I think it's something like eight races in 20-something days between the two. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, they're going to come thick and fast now for uh, for a few weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and then they're going to go like four weeks without more than one. So it's really strange how they're stacking them up this year. But okay, well, what are we here to talk about today, Alan? So actually, we're here to talk about not open wheel racing, but uh, we're going back to the world of sports cars, which we did with Ford versus Ferrari and mm-hmm. Le Mans 66, as it is uh, known in certain parts of the world. And we're, today we're going to talk about Le Mans 1970 and the uh, Steve McQueen movie um, that was basically a documentary slash drama slash I don't know what about <laughs> that particular race. We, I, 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 we were saying before, and I think we probably got, you know, 15% of the movie to talk about and 85% about the movie to talk about. And that should be interesting. I I like that it was supposed to be, he wanted it to be like a documentary, which I'm like, well, A, why? Why would you want to make a non-documentary movie uh, like a documentary? But B, it, it really did come across like a documentary that Steve McQueen just sort of wandered into. It's like a, it's like a fictional character showed up you know, it's it's like if they were making a, a um, drive to survive out of today's Formula One race, and like Ben Affleck happened to wander along as in the in a driver's outfit through the through the through the through the show, and you'd be like, "Wait, why is Ben Affleck here?" It's like I kept wondering, is if is this is this like the story of Le Mans of of a slice of life from the race, or is this like is this supposed to be a story here, and I'm just not getting it and. I guess we can talk about all the circumstances surrounding the idea of is there a story here, but first, why don't you? Why don't you? Because um, I know there's probably going to be some preliminary things you want to do, but when you are ready, I'd like you to try to explain to the folks what the story actually, at least, was supposed to be. <laughs> okay, give me the tough one. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually, <laughs> I'm actually going to do this show like they did this movie. I actually don't have any notes or a script this time. Um, <laughs> I love it. Which is pretty much exactly what the movie was. Yes. Um, <laughs> when we can get into more of the background re- recently. So for people who haven't seen the movie, um, if you're a car nut, I actually would uh, suggest watching it because I actually think it is some of the best racing action ever captured on film because it is the race. Um, yeah. They, they went out there in 1969 and checked out all the camera angles and where they were going to shoot from. And then they came back in 1970 and they actually entered... Uh, a camera car in the race. Yes. Um, that's one of my favorite stories. We're going to talk about that. I love it. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. So so they, they basically filmed the race without a script because they didn't want to write the end of the script because they didn't know what the end of the race was. They wanted it to reflect the actual race. Um, so they filmed the whole 24-hour race from like multiple camera angles, camera car, um, and so forth. And you ended up, I think they ended up with a million feet of film, I believe, um, which they then edited down into... Um, really 
like a fly on the wall camera verite type documentary uh, of the race so it is actually some of the best car racing footage you'll ever see on the big screen because it is actual real car racing footage mm -hmm. it's not recreated but then they stayed for another three months um and used a lot of the same cars a lot of the same drivers and the same circuit and sort of then filmed even more footage and then again they sort of kept filming it from all different angles because they didn't have a didn't have a script um and we'll get into it a bit later until eventually there's the uh the studio or the, uh, the people financing it put the foot down and said we need a story so they went back and basically shoehorned a story onto this million feet of footage that they've got and if i think about the story basically it's about one driver played by steve mcqueen um so the movie starts off with him pulling up uh, at a section of uh, barrier at on the mulsan straight and there's a new section you clearly there's a new shiny mm -hmm. section of barrier and he's looking at it and it flashes back to the previous year where he'd got in a crash with a ferrari driver at that ferrari had gone off and the driver was killed and he was badly injured and then we flash forward to this year and he's back at le mans and for some obscure reason the ferrari driver's widow is also back at le mans mm -hmm. hanging out in the ferrari pit for no apparent reason mm -hmm. um so we get some tense moments of interaction between it and there's very, very little dialogue in, in this movie. Um, mm. The story of the movie is basically told through the Tannoy system. Um, but we get some tense moments with between McQueen and this lady, uh, the, the widow of the guy he killed. Um, he has a, a couple of words with his main rival and then for some obscure reason when another Ferrari driver gets injured, this woman ends up in the medical tent for, again for some reason. Um, even though she's not related to the driver who is injured in any way um steve mcqueen puts his arms around and takes her away they go away for a, a um i don't know a talk in his caravan uh, yeah. and like i said to jill really uh when she was asking me what i was watching and why i was watching it there was basically this is a two-hour movie to get to one line of dialogue <laughs> which is is the famous line about racing his life everything that happens before or after it is just waiting right and uh, to me, that's the point of the movie is to get to that one line of dialogue. He says mm. it to this woman during yeah. the race. Yeah. Uh, it, it, there's a big crash with a Ferrari. He sees he sees that out of the corner of his eye. Mm. Flashes back to the previous one. He gets distracted. He ends up crashing. So he's out of the race. Then towards the end of the race, it looks like the Ferraris are going to win. But the push um, team manager comes over and says, "Steve, can you or Mike Mike Delaney the." the character's yeah. name can you drive the last leg and he's like yeah i can do it um so basically he the other guy gets thrown out of the car steve mcqueen gets in the car and rushes his porsche teammate to a win while overtaking his rival in the ferrari to finish second um and then gives his ferrari rival the v sign end of movie <laughs> yeah did i get it <laughs> I, I, yeah i, I agree yeah. that the, the the point of it yeah seemed to be for for you to see all the bad things that can happen and this woman represents like the embodiment of, well, then why do it? So that he can then answer, we do it for this reason, which is the big profound why we must race you know, kind of reason. And then, you know, he gets the, and, and, you, and you also have the, the, the driver that he replaced at the end was going to retire anyway, right? And his wife was wanting him to, right? And so he's like, yeah. And she's like, "Well, don't be, don't feel bad. You were going to quit anyway." And doesn't he say something like, "Not like this, not like this." But I will say, I mean, that's the one cliche they didn't didn't go through because invariably at the beginning of a racing movie, if some racing driver says, "This is going to be my last race," mm. you know damn well he's going to get killed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or badly injured or something. And in this one, he didn't. He just got pulled out of the car. So they didn't go there with that cliche. But um, that's probably because they hadn't actually filmed a crash with a Porsche driver. <laughs> Other than the Steve McQueen one, or they would so have done it. Well, and or they, they probably had, would have done it. Plus, they had the, the they had the guy from the previous year that the widow was representing. So yeah. we did have the one yeah. death kind of hanging over yeah. everything. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, I, I think I tweeted this to you. I think it is the slowest moving moving movie about the fastest sport. Um, it takes a long time to get going. There's it really lots does. of lots of. Uh, pan shots of people in campsites and people arriving on buses and stuff and I, I will say I actually sort of do enjoy that because many well actually probably just trying to think when I went probably 77 78 um, I actually did go to Le Mans on one of those buses that you see all the British guys piling off with their <laughs> cans of beer and their Union Jack jackets and stuff I did that 
right. But not for the 24 hours. We actually went to the South Circuit for, they used to run the, motor, the motorcycle Grand Prix on the, not using them all sound straight, but on the shorter South Circuit. Hmm. Um, but it's the same start finish area and the same sort of, you know, first and last bends and stuff. Um, so I've been there, done that, arrived on the coach, been camping, <laughs> rolled out, you know. That was amazing to me, all the camping stuff where they had like the communal bathrooms and everything. Yeah, and done like, that, been there, man. done that. Yeah, so wow. that, 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 that brought back a, quite a few memories. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah they, they really do show, you know, the, the whole thing that builds up around it in the, in the town and the city and the traffic jams and the people arriving um, and, the, you know, the crowded grandstands and stuff. Uh, I, I will say Le Mans is a place, I, a race I would still love to go to at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. There was a lot of scene setting um, from the track side as well. Um, and then, as we said, they they actually put a car into the race. So apparently, originally they were going to put Steve McQueen had actually entered a car for himself and Jackie Stewart to drive. He actually okay. wanted to race in the race. Um, but uh, the insurance company would right up until the last minute, pretty much the insurance company. Um, put their foot down and said he couldn't actually compete in the race so that car was pulled out so he didn't actually race in 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 the race itself but obviously he drove and drove very quickly in among the the professional drivers in the all the pickup stuff that they did uh, later on so the movie this is often compared to is grand prix which we reviewed a couple of months ago and i just wanted to make right. the, i just want to make the following observation and in fact i think we were talking about how james garner and mcqueen were both maybe up for that part and Garner got it they didn't speak for a couple of years or something and McQueen was determined to make a better movie than Grand Prix but the thing is Grand Prix really is like I would say you'll probably agree with me but maybe not I'd say Grand Prix is like 80% pure soap opera and 20% racing and it's like with this one McQueen said here's you know 2% soap opera if that see if you can make any sense out of it and then 98% just the cars, you know? And, I mean, if you if the cars are what you like, this is a great movie. You know, I mean, I've seen yeah. people say, if you love to see this kind of cars on this kind of course doing this kind of thing, then this is your movie, and this is one of the greatest movies of all time. If you go into it expecting something, anything like Grand Prix, you are going to be woefully disappointed. Is that fair? That's fair. I, I, there's a couple of points there, so I'm, I'm going to sort of start backwards with this one. I'll, I'll talk about Grand Prix second, but mm-hmm. I don't know if there is a lot of documentaries about the making of this film, and we'll go into that a bit more probably yeah. later on. But there, there are several. Um, but one of the ones I watched um, after I watched the movie, um, Derek Bell, who was obviously you know is now a five times Le Mans winner, was one of the uh, competitors in the race, one of the stunt, the drivers that stayed on and worked with Steve McQueen. He said when he first saw it. At the premiere and stuff, he thought basically it was a terrible movie um, <laughs> because yeah. you know it, it didn't really do anything. He said, but he hadn't watched it again until he watched it again like two years ago, and I think so, probably about four years ago now. Um, but when he'd watched it again recently, he realised what well, actually it's a great histo- a great documentary about sports car racing in ni- in the in the early nineteen seventies. So he sort of really appreciated it for that. But at the time, we thought it was a terrible movie, um, which is interesting. And I think that's sort of how it's sort of grown. And one of the things I'm fascinated about about this movie is not so much the movie itself, but the mythology that's grown up around it. Um, And I'll probably get back to that. But going back to the the Grand Prix thing. So some of doing some of the research and watching some of the, the documentaries, apparently they both come from the same point in time, the same source in the fact that both... Um, uh, Steve McQueen's company, Solar Productions, and um, I'm just blanking on the director, Frankenheimer, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, oh, well, Stur- Sturges, Sturges, are, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. For, for Grand Prix, it's Frankenheimer. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically, both production companies had the rights to the same initial spec script about mm. Grand Prix racing. And um, McQueen's company actually had a script put together called The Day of the Champion which was going to be around Formula One. Um, but Frankenheimer's production company basically got to the form- people in Formula One first and got permission first to film first. Um, so in 66 and 67, they did their thing. Steve McQueen's basically got pissed. Well, stopped production, obviously, because he didn't want to compete and got pissed because he got beat to, 
<laughs> got beat to the to the starting line by Frankenheimer's company. Mm. Also, the, in fact, his friend James. So he was going to play play the lead role in Day of the Champion, and obviously Garner got the lead role in Grand Prix, which soured the relationship between those two guys. Um, apparently, there's a story again. I don't know how true it is that. Uh, around that sort of time 67 68 69 they were actually living in the same apartment block and steve mcqueen had steve mcqueen's apartment was above james garner's apartment and he would go out in the night and basically pee off his balcony onto james garner's plants <laughs> and he basically said to james garner you peed on my movie so i'm going to pee on your plant. <laughs> so oh, um didn't take it too well but he basically said that uh you know if they've done their soap opera movie or whatever, I'm going to make the pure racing movie. And I think that was his thing was, mm-hmm. you're right. And I think what we ended up with is Grand Prix is a good, to an extent, it's a good drama of which built around the racing. And racing is sort of the backdrop. McQueen wanted to make the race the character of the story. And I think that's actually said in a couple of the documentaries. And some of the, as you just mentioned, John Sturgis was the original director. There's a couple of interviews with him where he says the main character of the Lamar movie is to be the race. Yeah. Not, not this other stuff that's going on around it. So, um, yeah. McQueen's thing was, I want to make a pure race, a, a, a movie about racing. I don't want to make a drama with racing as the backdrop. I think I, I, and I get that. I think there's a happy medium between those two movies. I Driven? just, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> oh God. I, well, I haven't watched all of that one yet. I watched the beginning and then turned it off. About a year ago. But no, I feel like maybe if they could have just put a little more human drama around hmm. this movie, just a little bit more. I mean, you could tell that they tried, right? They tried to construct it after the fact, as we were saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, if, if they had just had a little bit more of a story. But, but it's interesting because I was, I, you know, one of those documentaries, I watched the shorter one, um, the one that, his son, that McQueen's son did. Uh, Chad and he talks about he said that there were there were just two definite dates for this movie to for creating this movie they knew when they could start filming it and they had a locked in date to premiere it during like Indianapolis 500 Memorial Day weekend of 71 and so or, or, or thereabouts and so he said everything in between was chaos so we, we knew when it, we knew when it started and we knew when it had to stop but everything in between, was just total chaos, yep. and they they tried right. They brought in a new director. They brought in a writer during um, mul- multiple multiple writers. Yeah, yeah, and and they tried to f- manufacture a a plot. I just and and they make a good point though that lots of movies start production without a script, but I'm not sure how many pretty much finish production still without <laughs> without a script. I, this has got well, even to, if you've got a script, you've got a you've got a You've got an em- an end in mind of what the final, you know. Even if you don't have a script, you know usually what the 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 denouncement denouncement at the end. You know what the yeah it's going to be where it's going. But this sure. one, you know, they, they, they needed to film the race to understand who won the race, so they could sort of work their story around it. So that didn't help. Um, yeah, yeah. And wow. there's, there's there's also the great story about McQueen going to to Ferrari, to Ferrari. Um, and we were just like, well, you, you know, you, you were really helpful with the Grand Prix movie. Will you help me with my Le Mans movie? And um, Mr. Ferrari was like, well, do Ferrari win in your script? And McQueen's like, I don't know. And he was like, well, no. <laughs> Golly. I, so. My favorite story I've heard about it was that they had to enter the camera car as an actual participant mm-hmm. car in the race. And they said at one point, <laughs> this is like my favorite thing, Alan. They said at one point they were told you're in eighth place. Your camera, your camera car is actually in eighth place. And they and they said if you stop, if you if you don't stop anymore to change the film, you could win your division, right? Win your class. And yeah. they said the producers and all they kind of looked at each other. And the producer said, "Well, we were paid. We were given all this money by the investors, you know, by the production company and all, to film X amount of scenes. And if we go back to London or Paris or wherever we're going, if we go back to the or Hollywood, if we go back, and we have this great trophy but no film, <laughs> we might get in trouble. So maybe we really shouldn't worry about winning and just should focus on, you know, actually doing the job that we're here for. But I, I just I love the idea that if they just stop filming, 
the camera car could have won the race. Could have won. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think it was it. It you know that that camera car, the Porsche 908, that was the camera car, was Steve McQueen's car that he and Peter Revson had shared and driven to second place in the Sebring 12 Hours earlier that year, um, <laughs> when McQueen was you know, and they only got beaten by Mario Andretti. I mean, you know, McQueen yeah. was a serious race driver. I mean, him racing at Form, in in Le Mans was you know, he had the the chops to do it. I mean, mm. you know, he. he you know, on his on his way up, he'd been SCCA novice of the year. He'd been a road racing champion. Um, you know, he tried different levels of sports car, um, and then he bought the 908 to you know see if he, if he could compete at the level needed to compete at Le Mans. And clearly, he could because he you know he he came second at Sebring with a broken foot. Um, wow, which is amazing. Um, so you know he. He had the chops to do it. So that that camera car, it was a serious race car, and it's interesting um, because. Um, you know, if you look at uh, what they did with Grand Prix, you know, they hung cameras off some of the cars and filmed around it, or they'd had, you know, they had like a Ford GT40. Well, it wouldn't have been a GT40 back in '66, but um, but you know, they had sports cars with cameras on that they put out front. Uh, mm. uh, you know, this was they weren't allowed to have the cameras protruding, so they 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 worked out, uh, you know. Um, fairings and bodywork over the cameras to make it streamlined so it, you know it looked pretty much like a regular race car with just these odd little odd little bump at the front and two little sort of extra tubes at the back which looked like extra exhaust pipes but were where the camera lenses were so you know it was a pretty streamlined version of the apaco you know le mans race car um, sports car so uh, yeah and i think that actually helped because it could get in and keep up among the actual um mm-hmm cars running at race speed and again that's the one thing that does come out of this movie you can definitely see the difference between this and say ford versus ferrari or even sort of you know rush or or grand prix is that everything that was done and including the stuff later on was done at race speed this is not you know done slightly slower and sped up or done with stunt drivers and stuff this is stuff done at race speed with race drivers on the actual circuit and in that way it makes it the most genuine i think of all the racing Mm. movies there was one scene that one one camera effect that they did that i was like it 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 was so it's so funny how it was so good it actually took me out of the movie i mean usually a really really good shot doesn't do that but this one did because it was so good is where the car you know the car that we're on as the camera comes flying up behind another car and looks like we're going to go under the bumper of the other car and then as we catch up and go around the car on the left the camera pivots around and and, and instead of showing underneath the car we've, we're tailgating it pivot the camera itself pivots around smoothly just like you know one of the cameras on a on a on an indie car that the NBC would be doing today and shows the side of the car as we pass it and i'm like yeah. whoa how'd they do that and they talk in the documentary about how they actually had a camera on like a gimbal under yeah. the front of the car with a with an arm so that when the car with the camera caught up, it would the little arm would hit the car in front, and and it's a miracle it didn't spin it out. You know, it didn't do a Sebastian Vettel and spin around, but it it actually caused the camera to pivot around sideways. But they said that it was uh, they weren't taking into account how heavy the camera was. So when the camera pivoted around to show the side view, it nearly wrecked the camera car because it totally changed the balance of the car. So. What were your thoughts about that? I mean, that was like really cutting edge. Huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, obviously that was one of the things not done during the actual race, but done during the film, the, the filming afterwards on, on the track with the with the car with the cars and the camera cars. But uh, yeah, again, that's um, you look at some of that documentary footage of the, the the way that they were hanging cameras on and making basically inventing things. It was like, yeah, you know. I, again, I think it's some of the areas where there was uh, friction between Steve McQueen and John Sturgis. Was McQueen was like, you know, I want this shot, and then it was like, well, let's figure out how to do it. Um, there was a great one, which they'd never actually used in the, in the movie. But when he comes into the pit, you, I think you've seen it a couple of times, and I think they mentioned it in the documentary. When he comes into the, they have a camera mounted on the ex- car, looking into the cockpit, so you get the side view of McQueen and everything he's passing. It's like looking through the through the the, the door mirror, door window at him. Uh, and you can see the guardrails and everything rushing past, and then he pulls into the pits um, to, to get out and do a driver change. They actually had it, so you, as, when he came in, they, they could literally pick that camera up and then move it and keep 
one continuous shot with him oh, getting yeah. out of the car and sh- and they didn't use it in the movie um but uh you know again just really just pushing the envelope of what they could actually mm-hmm. do in terms of mounting cameras on cars and using them and the types of shots they could do um uh, and you know i think some of the stuff that they did in this movie they've not re- really been able to recreate until very very recently with the really small radio controlled you know uh, cameras that we now have on uh, on mm-hmm. race cars uh, for tv coverage but uh in terms of movie making, yeah, they were so way ahead of their time in what they what they were doing with moving vehicles and to do them at that speed. And you're right, Derek Bell. I think he was the, he was actually driving the camera car for that shot. Actually, talks about the fact that uh, you know when it came round, really threw the balance of the car out, and then they realised that there wasn't enough weight in the front of the car, uh, mm-hmm. and it almost took off and not just took him and the camera car out, and almost took the very expensive Ferrari he was next to as well. So, um, yeah, uh, and they did. You know, they obviously did have some. Uh, stuff with those accidents with them. I mean, um, Derek Bell burnt his face. That one of one of the uh, cars he was driving burst into flames at one point, and then uh, I don't know if this is time to talk about it. But uh, David Piper, um, if you look the um, watch the movie right at the end when it lists all the people who drove the cars, it says and thanks to special thanks to David Piper for his sacrifice making this yeah. movie. Um, so uh, David Piper, um, and you see a couple of cars with the Piper name on it, he, he actually lost his leg um, during the filming of this movie um, because of an accident in the post-race, um, when they were doing the post-race action sequences and stuff. Um, and again, that was partially down to the fact they didn't have a script because the day before, they he was driving one of the Porsches um, and they'd done a sequence the day before with him ahead of the Ferrari, but because they didn't know the end of the movie, uh, they then decided this next day they actually wanted to do a sequence with him behind the Ferrari. Um, so they were doing the same sequence and basically hit, something happened at the back of the Porsche and it let go and he went through a guardrail um, and completely destroyed the Porsche. And he basically ended up just being strapped, left strapped in his seat to the front of the engine block and there was like no, you can see the pictures, there's like no car. There's like an mm. engine block and a seat sitting on the front of it. Um, and uh, he was airlifted to hospital and, and uh, they had to amputate his leg. Um, one of the interesting things is that there's a much longer documentary called, which I highly recommend, called Steve McQueen, The Man in Le Mans. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's free on, it's on Amazon Prime. It's free if you've got Amazon Prime. It's about an hour and a half. Um, but in that, they interviewed David Piper and he says after the accident, he never heard from Steve McQueen again and he was quite bitter about it. Um, and then at the, towards the end of the um, documentary, they're showing some paperwork, which was actually a letter from Steve McQueen to the higher-ups at the production company saying that uh, I want all the proceeds from the premiere to go to David Piper and his family um, and to be looked after and make sure he's looked after going forward. So, uh, which was, in fact, it didn't happen. The production company didn't do it, but David Piper was quite uh, cut up by that and said, oh, he did really care about me type thing. So, We have to pause here for just a moment to thank all of our patrons who do so much to keep our programs on the air. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks, be part of the family, and know that you, too, are contributing to keeping our shows going. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or you can just go to patreon.com and look for Van Plexico or White Rocket and click on the button there to become a patron. And for as little as a dollar a month, we would certainly appreciate your support. Our current patrons as of July of this year include Matthew Flowers and Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore and Christopher Burleson. We have Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick and Richard Stevens. Then we have William Morgan, James Greenwell, Johnny Caldwell, Emmanuel Seaman, WDE Ritchie, Winston Body, Clinton Stewart, Christopher Stewart, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, and Rich Reimer. Then we have Shane Bailey, Chris Hilton, Dibama, Kevin Mahan, Sarah Hines, Darris Benton, Rob Morgan, Blake Heron, Hugh Anderson, Stephen Houston, Kato DeBarner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Kenoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, and Mike Finley. And finally, 
We have Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrecht, Mick Vigicana, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, we're nearly to the end, but we have so many great supporters that we appreciate so much. Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Chris Brant Rumble, and of course, our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. Again, just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or just go to patreon.com and look for Plexico or look for White Rocket and you'll find us and just click and sign up and we appreciate it. Now back to the show. But yeah, the, the, you know, it, things happened with the making of that movie too um, to show how dangerous it was. Um, well, I was yeah. going to say it seemed like they were, I, I was going to say it seemed like they were actually very fortunate with a lot of the things that happened, but I guess there were even some, you know, some bad things. But uh, yeah. it could have been a lot worse though, it seems like. Given, oh yeah, given, it could have been, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, they, I mean, when they did the two big crashes, I mean, you have the two set piece crashes, you have the Ferrari going up the bank. Oh, and then the, the Steve McQueen's Porsche uh, crashing. And those, those were both done with um, basically a, a Lola radio controlled Lola chassis with a Ferrari body on it and a Porsche body on it. Um, so there wasn't actually stunt drivers in that. But the interesting thing about the, um, the Ferrari one, because it takes up over that earth bank and then it goes through a martini sign. Oh yeah. And well, apparently when it, it was originally designed, it, it was an accident that it went through the martini sign. It was meant to fly like next to it, and it actually ended up going through the sign, and it actually gave them much better, better footage than uh, <laughs> they expected for it. Uh, I do remember so, hearing that, that. Yeah, yeah, and those are two very spectacularly done um, scenes, uh, and you know they used them very well. I think within the movie. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I was I was appreciative of how much they were able to fit um, product placement in in the very first five minutes of the movie. It's like it all fit, but everywhere he drives at the beginning, you see the big signs, the billboards of all their sponsors, and so they. I hope they rec- I hope they recouped a little bit of their money with product placement since the movie didn't make a ton of money. Money. I mean, it. I, I have it as it made five and a half million in North America. I don't know how it did in Europe or wherever. I'm sure it made probably a good bit there too, but. Yeah, um, the thing is, a lot of those would have been there, things at the race, you know, were there anyway at the racetrack and around around the countryside and stuff. So, mm. um, one of the stories I did read is that when they were, um, stay, when they stayed on, um, because they stayed on so long, um, a lot longer than they were anticipating, after the race to to do the pickup shots and the extra scenes and extra race scenes and stuff um, that a lot of the uh, signage and the pits and stuff started to fade so they go in every couple of weeks and repaint stuff and stuff gradually got lighter and lighter and lighter um, and they had to keep like adjusting the light levels and the cameras and stuff because to try and make sure that these things were consistent um, hmm. and there's there's one story about they were they were there basically all the way through November I think by the time they finished doing the, the, the shooting, by which time the leaves had started to turn. And of course, everything's meant to take place in one day in June. So they were literally painting the brown leaves <laughs> and spraying the trees to make them look green. So it looked like it was oh, still the same no. day in June. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, no. So, yeah, I mean, this was this was very much Steve McQueen's vanity project. And uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that that comes across and not Steve McQueen's vanity project as in Steve McQueen has to be in every shot. But it's like, you know, this is what he wanted to do. And he, at he all costs. There. Yeah, at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm, I'm trying to still nail down the story such as it is. Right. Is that. I mean, we we stated that it's basically just building up to to him being able to say that racing is the most important thing. It's like, why do you climb the mountain? Because it's there and all that. But I mean, at the end, I mean, are, have we established that the Ferrari driver he was dueling with for second place, basically? Because and 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 wouldn't it have been nice if we had had any knowledge at all of the guy in first place? We're told that there's another that there's a teammate Wilson or whoever right in first place, right. And he helps him win, and we're like, okay, I, I wish I'd had some kind of emotional investment in the other driver. You know, well, it's the me- same with the with with the guy in the Ferrari that crashes. I mean, you know, yeah. you know nothing about him or anything like that. It's you know they introduce four or five drivers at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, you know, either with the names on their helmets or mentioned over the PA. But as you say, we know nothing about them 
as a person. The only thing that we know about the German driver who he's de dueling with for second place at the end is the fact that the two of them had a really close race at the Nürburgring a few weeks before, which the German driver won. That's all we know. Um, yeah. We know nothing about them as characters at all. Yeah. And we I don't even know anything. We don't even know anything about Steve McQueen's character as no. a person. Yeah, we don't know. Are we supposed to be rooting for him? I mean, I know that we are because it's his movie, but we don't know anything about him. I mean, maybe he's not really a good guy. Maybe we should be booing him. Maybe, you know, I mean, there's you, you get just enough little bits and pieces to kind of have a vague, out-of-focus idea of, of who and what everybody is, but but not very much in depth at all. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting. You said a while ago that this movie has, seen, has become, you know, I, let me... My translation of what you were saying was, I think this movie has aged better as a representative of a different era than it was as a contemporary movie. And I think that's mainly because, you know, it's just like with anything, you know, if, if you made a movie about the NFL right now, uh, or, if, or if you'd made one, let's, in fact, let's go back and say you made a movie about just NFL players playing football back in the 80s, okay, back in the 80s. Uh, at the time, people would be like, well, what's that for? It's just like two hours of football players playing football. You know, look, there's the same, you know, players we see every day on television. How is this anything, you know? Whereas if you jump ahead to 2020 and you go back and look at look at a thing that filmed football players in the 80s, it's gone from being, here's the same thing I can see on TV every Sunday to look, there's Joe Montana in his prime. Look, there's what that stadium looked like back in the 80s. There's what, uh, you know, there's Jerry Rice back in the 80s. Whoa. It's like time gives it more importance than it has at the time it was filmed. You know what I mean? It, it becomes a period it, thing rather than a contemporary, and, it, that, and that's more important. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because I think it's one of the other places that this movie falls down because Steve McQueen said you know, he wanted to make a movie about racing and the drivers, and it was about the race, and it was about the racing drivers, his, his peers in racing. But you don't get to see or hear them, and I think, again, Grand Prix does a much better job of that because in Grand Prix, for geeks like me, <laughs> you get a lot of those other then current drivers name checked either in the commentary or they're actually in scenes or you get that whole scene where there's the drivers meeting and I can be a geek and pause it and go around the room and like oh my god look there's Jim Clark there's so and so there's so and so there's so and so mm -hmm. you don't get that here you, you, it's not like like you said we, we don't know the character anything about the, the four or five main characters in the so-called story of the movie but we don't get to know any of the other drivers there we don't even hear who the other contemporary drivers are in the race um, you know, it would be good to to maybe have seen some of those guys, to see seen the people um, who were driving, to see Derek Bell in the background, to see these other, you know, um, uh -huh. folks, David Piper, whatever, um, you know, Jackie X, all these sort of things, you know, in in the background. It, it may have been, I think it would have been good to um, to do that. And I think what I, they also missed here, and this is going back to our conversation about Ford versus Ferrari, this was the first year that they didn't do the run to your car and strap in oh yeah. Um, yeah and i think it would have been good even just before that to say you know even if it was over the tannoy you know oh this is the first year we're not you know mm -hmm. um, that all the drivers have to start already strapped in the car and will their cars start you know build some mm -hmm. tension i will say from a photography cinematography point of view the way they built to the start of the race and the tension of that was very very good mm -hmm. and the clock and the countdown and it's oh, yeah. down and the heartbeats and stuff to the cars yes. firing up i thought was brilliantly done mm -hmm. um but i think they missed a lot of opportunities to even present contemporary races in a much better light mm -hmm. and give some make th some of them characters uh, and promote them and promote the sport in a, in a slightly different way the on the so you know the on the on-track action was really, really brilliant and really well done. Everything else around it, I think they, I think I don't know whether that was lost in the cutting room, lost between the arguments, just fell between the cracks. But I think there was a lot of they didn't even film it. Missed here. Yeah, I, don't, they, I think yeah. they just were so focused on that one thing, the the race, that they just kind of. Well, I'm going to say we live in a world now of 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 Formula One drive to survive, which attracts people that don't that weren't already watching Formula One racing to watch it on the grounds of, you know, there's not a lot of, if you if you think about Drive to Survive, and if those that don't know, that's the Netflix series they've done two years of now, kind of leading into the new Formula One season, and it's basically like an eight or ten episode 
um, build up to the season by looking back at what happened last season. But here's the thing. Drive to Survive's approach is to, it, there's, there's not a lot of mechanical stuff in it, right? There's not a lot of time spent on it going, well, we need to get this new head gasket here to work right, and we're going to bring this in. No. It's, what's Daniel Ricciardo going to do? Oh, look, there he is acting wacky at the swimming pool. Oh, look, there's Max Verstappen on his boat. You know, It's very much playing up what I've been calling that soap opera aspect, which is what do the drivers and their wives and girlfriends do in and around the sport because they know, right, if you like the cars and the racing, you probably already watch Formula One. The purpose of a thing like Drive to Survive is to say, here is why you will like Formula One even if you don't focus entirely on the cars and the racing. But see, Grand Prix, we've talked about this before, Grand Prix has a lot of Drive to Survive in it for its time. This movie has virtually none, right? I mean, this movie has about a total running time of about six minutes of, of, of that kind of thing. And I don't mean to just say it as soap opera, but it... There needs to be a human element. There needs to be a reason why we care. And if you really love the cars, there's your end. But otherwise, you know, if if you love Drive to Survive and that's why you watch Formula One, you will not like Le Mans. Is that... Do you agree? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this is a Car Geeks movie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's either a Car Geeks movie or a Steve McQueen Geeks movie. And I don't yeah. even think it's that much of a Steve McQueen Geeks movie because he's not actually in it that much. Yeah, he's um, not. It's crazy. And, 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 and he, he hardly is, says anything. in a car. You know, I, no, I think he says about you know, 10 lines of dialogue. Um, so it, it, there is very, very little dialogue. And that is actually, you know, one of the, uh, I think one of the comments I heard on one of the documentaries is, you know, Sturgis, John Sturgis at one point, he's like, is anybody going to talk in this movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and at the end, I mean, he the the big you know the big moment at the end apparently that they they built was when he looks down at the at you know after the race he catches the eye of I've, I guess the Ferrari guy that he has yeah 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 who was yeah. like a Bond villain right or a Bond flunky wasn't he I think and and he <laughs> I he catch I think he was and he catches his eye and kind of does him the the flipping him off whatever thing and they kind of smile at each other. And I'm left to wonder, did he hate that guy? Did he like that guy? Was he being serious? Was he just kind of being flip? Was he what? I, I mean, even even watching the whole movie, I didn't understand their resolution such as it was. I, I don't know. No, I, I think it was meant to be a sort of cheeky sign of respect, you know. But again, the fact that other than one conversation in the hallway where the German guy says to, you know, look after, look at, you know, look after yourself out there or something like that. There's no interaction between the two. You know, like I said, the only thing we know is from the Tannoy that they had a close race a couple of weeks ago. So again, there's no, you know, we don't know them as human beings. We don't know the relationship. There's no drama, and you, you don't you don't get, you know, you don't get a story without conflict and drama, and you don't get that without the people. Um, as much as I love cars and watching cars go around, it's not it's not so much about the the mechanical thing versus the mechanical thing. It's about the people who are driving them, and putting their skills to the test at the limit that's what it's about um mm. and yeah there are beautiful cars i mean you know i will say the porsche 917 which is the is is really the star of the movie is that golf livered yeah livery porsche um that is the breakout star of the movie that was the first <laughs> uh, fx construction kit model car that i ever built as a kid uh, i love that nine 917 um i think it's stylish i we, when we were in the uk well, just an, over a year ago um now we, you know, we went to the National Motor Museum in the UK, and that Porsche is there. And I sort of completely geeked out when I saw it. Um, mm. It's like, oh, it's still a Mont Porsche. Um, you know, th- uh, there's a there's a nice little. Um, if you're interested in the car, there's actually a, a nice, I think, five ten minute thing on YouTube from James May from Top Gear Grand Tour, where he, yeah, Porsche actually give him a 917 to play around with on the track for a day, uh, and he talks about how the car came to be. And then his reactions about driving it and stuff. So um, it's a very cool car, and I think it becomes the, the star of the show. But without knowing about the people who drive it, it again just becomes. I'm going to. It's going to sound silly, but it becomes somewhat mechanical. You know. Yeah. No. Um, yes. Exactly. The, the, the movie it's, um, which is reflected in the movie itself. So, like I said, for me, the the interesting it, in, in me is you know I watched the movie, but I actually found the documentary Steve McQueen, mm. Le Mans, The Man and Le Mans, more interesting than the movie so I found the documentary about the movie much more interesting 
than the movie itself. Oh yeah, I think so. I, I, it's funny, by the way, you mentioned the, the Porsche 917. I that was like my first Hot Wheels when I was a little kid. Yeah. I had the, I had the little Porsche 917, and I remember used, I used to wonder when I was a kid. I'm like, this is the weirdest shaped car. Where do they drive this? Who drives a car that's so shaped so funny like this? And and uh, had the back end would even rise up on it, and you could see the big engine in the back and everything. So is that like? I don't know much about this kind of racing. Is that like the predecessor to like the LMP things that you see at at Le Mans today, or what? How do they? Yeah, yeah, that was that. They used to call it sports prototype back then, but yes. So, so just to take it back, so what after? So, so picking up from Ford versus Ferrari. Remember at the end of Ford versus Ferrari, there was the little coder at the end that said, and you know, Ford went on to win Le Mans for the next three years with the GT40. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. So basically, the French got fed up of that, so they changed the rules. <laughs> um, so the GT40 basically became obsolete overnight, um, and they made a rule that uh, your sports prototype. You know, if you remember, there was all the thing about putting the seven-liter engine in the back of the GT40. So mm-hmm. they made a rule that basically said that your sports prototype, if it was a one-off special built just for Le Mans, it could only have a three-liter engine. But if you built 25 road-going versions of the car you could have a five liter engine in it. So basically Porsche gambled the company mm. and they made 25 Porsche 917s in road going trim, which were terrible. They would fall apart. <laughs> they were literally assembled by the sec- they, they got everybody, Porsche was a small company at the time. They got everybody. They were known as the secretary's car because they were put together by the secretaries <laughs> and anybody that was at the company, everybody stopped whatever they were doing and basically was pulled together to build these 25 road-going, in inverted commas, versions of the 917 by the, <laughs> by the deadline. And so they could line them up in a parking lot and say, there you go, 25 cars with headlights and windshield wipers and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and it was terrible. So the, when they debuted it in 60, um, and then they took three or four of those cars and turned them into race cars for Le Mans at 69, um, but they were terrible. But they, they were incredibly fast on the, in the straight line. I think they got up to 214 or something on the Molson straight. They, they were insanely fast in a straight line. Couldn't go around a corner. Um, really bad handling. One, of, one crashed and a driver was killed. The other, I think all the others basically broke down. And there's a great interview with one of the drivers. I think he's in the James May thing where he actually was wishing the, the driver of the sole remaining 917 was basically grateful when it broke down because it was such a pick to handle. Um, <laughs> But then they, they, they figured it out over the next 12 months. And by the time it got to Le Mans at 70, they were like the race winning car. And they became, the 917 became like the iconic sports car for the next generation of sports cars, um, which eventually became, over the various rule changes, is now what we call LMP1, yes. Um, okay. which is, I think it's just an abbreviation of Le Mans prototype. Um, so. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, all, that all makes sense now. Okay. I get it. Yeah. So basically, the, these these are the cars, the generation after the GT40. So, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that's cool. I was I was wondering kind of how Ford versus Ferrari fit into this because I just assumed that since there were like, you know, four or five years in between, that things had changed a little bit. The cars looked kind of similar, but I don't. Yeah, just... a lot of the cars were similar. Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting mm-hmm. there because because the GT40 had become obsolete when they would they actually used GT40 as camera car, as as camera platforms while filming the the pickup pieces of this movie after the race um so a, a lot of those um special scenes that they filmed outside the race uh, you know the the character scenes and the, some of the special moves and stuff and the cars spinning and stunt stuff some of those uh, camera cars were actually gt40s because they were they were useless people didn't want them they were obsolete so they were just sitting around so they hacked <laughs> them to pieces and made uh, camera cars out of them because they could keep up with uh, with the porsches and the ferraris Good grief! Oh, I found out where I've seen the uh, the the German driver that was the I guess the arch enemy, right? Uh, Siegfried Rauch. He yeah. was in Patton, and he was in uh, the Big Red One. He always played a German, um, like a German general or something, or a German soldier. Uh, okay, yeah, he looked vaguely familiar. It's probably from Patton. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. that he was one of the flunkies from like Thunderball or something, but he looked kind of like that kind of guy. But that's not yeah. who it was. So yeah, yeah. So. Well, I don't have a whole lot left extra to say about about this. I'm I'm glad I watched it, 
and I certainly enjoyed the racing parts of it, but I don't know if I'm going to be in a big hurry to go back and, and revisit it again. What do you, what, what are your last kind yeah, of thoughts? Yeah, I, 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 like I said, for me, one of the things that I find fascinating about this movie is the stuff that's grown up around the movie. So, um, like I said, there's lots of um, documentaries I keep mentioning about, highly recommend mm-hmm. uh, Steve yeah. McQueen, The Man in Le Mans, um, which again features his his son and actually his son goes back to Le Mans and is walking around all the various places and his wife's interviewed and the, the actor you just mentioned and there's some um, Steve McQueen and there's actually some audio of Steve McQueen during his final days when somebody went in and interviewed him and there's some audio clips of him talking about it and stuff like that mm. so a lot of very interesting behind the scenes stuff um, um, there's the whole you know um, that quote is, you know he's on about you know racing his life he's on so many posters t-shirts jackets the whole Porsche 917 has become so iconic mm. um, I've even got a couple of um, beautiful the illustrated painted oversized French graphic novels about <laughs> Steve, Steve McQueen at Le Mans um, and the making of the movie um, which, which are spectacular to look at they um, if you love comics and love cars, they are um, and just good artwork. They are spectacular. Available in English um, as well as French. They're, they're beautiful. Um, so there's so many books about the making of this movie, art books about it, photography books. Um, it's amazing. It, it's interesting. And anything you read around Steve McQueen and Steve McQueen's life, it all comes to this movie. Um, this was like this was like a turning point in Steve McQueen's career um, because you know prior to this, I mean this. I think it says in one of the documentaries at this point they'd given him a blank check to make a movie of the phone book. You know, um, you yeah. just come off uh, The Great Escape, mm-hmm. uh, The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, what else had you just done? Oh, Bullet. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, he, he'd done all, all, all of those sort of movies. Um, he, could, he was the top, you know, the top movie star of the, of the day. Um, and this was his vanity project. This was the one thing he wanted to do. And... I mean, it made money. Um, I think it made the same as Dirty Harry that year. So, it, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a critical success. Commercially, it was just about a success. Um, but I think it's just a movie. But afterwards, his career was never quite the same. You know, he wasn't like the golden boy that everything he touched was perfect. Um, mm. you know, if you actually want to watch a, a movie about Steve McQueen's actual... You know, he stopped racing after this movie. He just concentrated on riding bikes and learning to fly fly planes i mean it's how it is is um his, his marriage broke up for i mean it cost him to some extent his career his marriage um mm. his production company um his reputation um so very uh, you, know, you know very interesting that just the impact it had on you know uh you know when a movie star basically goes out to do his vanity project uh, and doesn't think about about it from a business or artistic point of view how you can basically start a downward spiral no kidding from that point of view i think um so there's a lot of things around this movie that make it a a seminal movie for both anybody who's interested in steve mcqueen or racing movies and you know it's still a lot of people still do rank it right up there with with grand prix as one of the best racing movies and i think that's because it is still the best racing footage because it's the most realistic racing footage you've ever seen yeah it just it depends on what you're looking for in a movie yeah that's really what it comes as a movie as a movie, as a piece of entertainment, a drama, no. <laughs> and, and if you if you're not interested in racing all that much, you could watch Grand Prix and go, oh, that was a cool story, and they were racing. They could yeah. have been. They could have worked on an oil well. You know, <laughs> they could have been whatever. And it's yeah, still exactly. Cool... They could have done any dangerous job, and you could fit that drama in around it. Yeah. Right. Whereas this, yeah. it's 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 just racing. That's pretty much a hundred percent. And to be honest, it's not even that good a racing because it doesn't really tell the story of the race that well. Yeah, you needed reasons to care, and they didn't really give us any. I was just going to say that the the documentary I watched was a short one. I get a sense it was it was supposed to be like an hour long, but it would without commercials. It was really short, but it's called um, "Filming at Speed." And it's oh, oh, that's the old Speed Vision series. It was it was it was hosted. It was hosted by McQueen's son. And right. it has some it has some cool stuff in it. It has a lot of interviews in it, but it has um, it's neat because it talks about how he said that he actually got to ride around the track with his dad. That he uh-huh. had uh, yeah he he was standing yeah. there by the track and his dad pulled up and waved to come on and get in and they drove around a little bit, <laughs> which is scary. But yeah, um, yeah. Actually, the one I did the one I watched actually um, bookends that because it has footage of him driving the nine one seven with his kid on his lap. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was on yeah. YouTube. This is on YouTube, and I was going to say that Le Mans itself, the movie, is on, on YouTube, YouTube because yeah. I looked everywhere and couldn't find it, and finally, in desperation, looked on YouTube, and there it was. Now, of course, if you're wanting to watch it, you better hurry because things like that don't tend to stay on YouTube very long; they get pulled down. But it was on. Uh, just a couple of days ago as of the beginning of July of 2020. So uh, go check it out if you want to. All right, so uh, that's it for me. Any final thoughts about this movie before we lay them on to rest and and look into our future? No, no, I think that's uh, that's it. It, Like I said, for me, it's as much about the making of the movie. um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fascinating stuff about the making of the movie, um, which I think you could enjoy even if you've never seen the movie. yeah, I think so, and, and probably more than the movie in some cases. All yeah. right, so I guess um, we usually we usually end these by talking about what's coming up. So we've let, all right. So let's see, we've done Grand Prix, we've done Ford versus Ferrari, we've done Le Mans, and we've done. Didn't we do another one? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Rush. Yeah, obviously that's <laughs> that's yeah. stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that Rush. Was, that was the best one. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just didn't think. So we've done four now, which is pretty remarkable. So, do I have to watch the the slow one now? Yeah, we got to do Driven next. All right. All right. It's kind of a Formula One, kind of an IndyCar thing, kind of generic yeah. made up. I, I'd love to do Winning, the Paul Newman one, um, about in, in, Paul Newman at the Indy 500, which again sparked his, like James Garner, sparked his uh, interest in motor racing. Um, I can't, but I can't seem to find it streaming or anything like that. So. All right, we'll have to look for that then. Okay, but in the meantime, I've got I've got a copy of, of Driven. So I do I. About, so. I got about 10 minutes into it about a year ago and went, I don't know what this is, but I'll give it a chance. I'll be <laughs> I'll be open-minded and we'll see. All right, that'll be fun. I was, so. I, I was say at least that one has a story of sorts. It's so. <laughs> a plot, yeah, and characters and everything. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this has been Le Mans, and that's uh, Steve McQueen's movie, so we recommend it if you like just the racing stuff. Otherwise, watch the documentary. I guess that uh, Open Wheel will get on out of here for another episode, and We'll see you guys out on the track. Uh, Thanks a bunch, Alan. Cheers, man. See you down the road. I'm not sure how much I really have to say about this movie. (laughs) I have more to say about the movie than I do about what was in the movie. I guess put it that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. The same here. You can describe the movie in like two sentences. Yeah. If that. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.